It's Easter, so I suppose we should probably talk about Easter stuff, right? Does that sound fair? Uh, If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to John uh, chapter 20. Uh, John 20. Uh, We Last week, this is really by coincidence, uh, last week we, uh, in our all-family communion, we we walked through John 19 and uh, we talked about uh, Jesus going to the cross and we ended on... You know, a bit of a Debbie Downer moment uh, had we not realized, you know, John 20 was coming. Uh, when, it, when it comes to the life of Jesus, uh, it would, uh, if it was an ordinary biography, we would have really been done uh, last week because it's hard to write more chapters about a person's life after they've died. Um, but, but what we find as we read the Bible is that Jesus is anything but ordinary and his story and our story wrapped in him uh, becomes extraordinary, and uh, and so so Jesus, uh, 20, John chapter twenty dawns this this incredibly beautiful new day, uh, one that uh, the the events that we get the privilege of reading this morning is why we gather together specifically on this Sunday each and every year. Uh, that the fact that Jesus comes back to life is uh, great cause for celebration. And, and I think it's, it's why each day a person who has placed their trust and placed their lives in Christ, that we can live with great purpose, we can live with great peace, and we can live with, with great joy. In fact, bottom line is, if, if we don't gather, to, if Resurrection Sunday didn't happen, then we're in really in big trouble. Uh, because by definition, that would make Jesus a liar. Uh, and if he's a liar, he can't be Lord. And, and so this new day that we get to celebrate on Easter morning is one where, where, where sin and death are defeated, but that's not just it. It's a day in which Jesus fulfills his promises of, of what he has been sent to do by the Father. In fact, uh, it's a day when, when people like us, people who are lost and broken and dying, it's where we find life. Uh, it's where we are given life, where we are healed. And, and so what I hope this morning is as we get to walk through uh, just this incredibly beautiful chapter, uh, what I pray is that, that we would understand that Easter morning is just as vital as the cross of Christ. Uh, in fact, uh, I grew up in an environment where it seemed like you'd get to Easter and it was like the icing on, or the cherry on top of the cake. Uh, and what, what we need to understand is that there were two things that needed to happen for our relationship with God to be restored. Uh, that the death and the resurrection of Jesus are both equally important. And that's what we're going to get to walk through here in John chapter 20. So let's, let's pray and then we'll get going. Father, we come to you. And we are thankful that you care about us. That first of all, you love us in Christ, but then secondly, you you gift us the privilege of Your Word this morning. Father, we, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would speak to us today, that we would see in the resurrection scene just how incredibly important Christ, Christ is to us. We love You. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right. Well, that was a deep amen. Like, way to go, guys. All right, ladies, were you trying to like, amen, right? That's, 
didn't sound as good. Um, all right, so, so as, we, as we walk in, in chapter 20, here's what I want you to see. Uh, as we walk through all these verses, really they're a collection of scenes. Uh, they're interactions that people are happening, uh, having. In fact, the Bible uh, will be fairly silent about what happens between uh, the moment that the stone is rolled over the tomb and the moment that the stone is then rolled away. Uh, in fact, I, I think uh, the Bible's silent about it because my personal hope uh, is that when I get to heaven, Jesus gets to tell me what happens uh, in that scene. And, and it would be an, a story of epic proportions. I don't think we could, uh, as fitting as some of our movies are these days, I don't think we could come anywhere close to what's happened uh, in those three days. So, but, but what John 20 does, it's very helpful for us today, really, no matter where you are with God. No matter if you uh, are just kind of wading into the waters of life with God or if you have been uh, a faithful follower of Jesus for years and years and years. 20 uh, will help us out because what it is, is we get to walk alongside a group of people uh, who have been walking with Jesus. And where, we are, where they are found in this chapter is in some grief, is in some confusion, for some is in some anger, uh, for some, is in some questions about what's just happened. Uh, because a person they love deeply, a person they've come to know this isn't just a normal guy, is now dead. And so we get to walk right alongside them. And, and my bet is, if, if you've not given your heart to Jesus, uh, you're going to hopefully, prayerfully, you'll find yourself in one of these few people. Uh, and then if, if you are found in Christ, that you will be reminded of where you were. And then maybe you'll be brought to some places that you tend to visit in your own life. And, and so, so coming into verse 1, it's been three days since Jesus has been crucified. He breathes his last breath. He is buried. And, and the punishment we deserve, he carries on his body. And this is, this is where we pick it up, Lawson, in verse number 1. Now on the first day of the week... All right. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran uh, and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid Him. And we can, we can stop just for a second there because what it does is it, it helps paint a major part of the scenes that are going to be unfolding here. We're going to give Mary Magdalene a few moments and a few time, a little bit of time here in a moment. But but here we can already find some common ground with her uh, because uh, Jesus has told them. Okay, this is what we find when you track in the Gospels. Jesus will look at these people and he'll say, "Hey, listen, I'm going to die, but in three days I'm coming back to life. Right? In three days I'm coming back to life." Which you know. Only Jesus could probably pull off a gig like that, right? And so he tells them, and, and frequently the disciples and the people that are around Jesus, they look at him like, I don't, I don't know really what you're talking about here because that just doesn't happen, all right? And so we can find some common ground with, with Mary already because Jesus has told them that he would die, that three days later he'd come back from the grave. And in Mary's inclination here is to... Not to believe that Jesus was telling the truth, but that something sinister has happened. Right? Instead of saying, oh, well, I guess he was right. She says, oh, someone stole him. 
Right? So we can find just a little bit of, of common ground. But she, she sees this scene and, and she runs and she finds uh, the disciples. And, and so, so frantically she runs to two guys. She runs to Peter and then she runs to John, who is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, it turns out he's the guy who uh, wrote these words. Okay, And that's going to come in to pretty good context in just a minute. Uh, and so this is where our first scene really takes off. So in your talk notes, if you'd like to follow along, uh, you're invited to do so. That in scene one, this is where it, in verses one through ten is where it really begins to take off. The person who's looking for Jesus is Peter. Is Peter. So verse three. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were there going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. First, now, this is, see, this is a good moment, all right? This is, a, this is my favorite non-spiritual moment in all of this. Because essentially what you've just been told by John is that he's a faster runner than Peter, okay? And if you want to talk about a place to scoreboard someone, put it in the Bible, all right? He's like, hey, just in case there's a d- doubt about it, I'm faster, okay? Smoked him. Got to the tomb first, I was waiting for him. I stretched and everything afterwards. Um, so verse 5 and stooping to look in he saw the linen cloth lying there but he did not go in so, so the question on the table is why wouldn't uh, John go in that's an excellent question I'm glad you asked it Okay. the reason why he doesn't go in is because in order for John to be ceremonially clean during this time he can't be around a dead body so he gets to the tomb and he stops and he's just he's just trying to take a a peek in to see what is unfolding. And so, now, verse 6 tells us about a different reaction from Peter. It says this, Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went right into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And so so if this scene is about... Uh, is told through the lens of Peter, then we need to ask ourselves, who is he representing? Who is he talking about? And, and if you know Peter's story, uh, you're, you'll know he's dealing with a little bit of baggage. right? And so, so who Peter represents here is, is these people in life who live with regret and they're shackled by them. We, those who live with regrets and they're shackled. In fact, the last time... We saw Peter in, in John's Gospel. Uh, he's seen fleeing from a courtyard. Okay? Just a couple hours earlier, he's sitting in an upper room with the disciples and Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, um, they're going to kill me. And one of you will uh, deny me. And Peter looks at him and he says, to the point of death, I won't. He says, no matter what they do, you're my guy. And then just a few hours later, someone walks up and says, hey, aren't you with Jesus? And he's like, no. And then a little bit later, they say, hey, aren't you with Jesus? He's like, no. And then thirdly, a, a girl says, hey, are you, aren't you one of them? He says, I don't know what you're talking about. And then this rooster crows, right? And there's a moment in the Gospels that says that Jesus and Peter see each other eye to eye, and then he flees weeping. And so for three days, Peter's been living in a regretful moment. Some of us 
have been living in a regretful moment for three years, 30 years. So we find ourselves in Peter. His urgent, I think his urgency for running into the tomb. He says, I don't care about the law, I care about Jesus. In fact, uh, his urgency is highlighted the next chapter. There's this really beautiful moment between Jesus and, uh, and Peter. Uh, Jesus is alongside this shoreline, uh, and Peter's in a boat, and John says, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter just jumps over, swims to him, and we find this, this incredible scene of redemption where Jesus speaks some truth into Peter's life, and he says, you don't have to live back there anymore. Uh, you get to live changed because of me. And I think regret has a way of keeping us stuck in life, right? Um, have I told you anything you don't already know there? That regret has a way of keeping you stuck in life and, uh, and a list of poor decisions that leaves scars that you don't think can be healed, but the resurrection dawns this, this beautiful, this new day, and those regrets pale in comparison to the mercy and to the love that Jesus brings, especially celebrated this morning. Verse number 8. Then the other disciple, uh, who had reached the tomb first, all right, get you, John. You're quick, bro. He also went in and he saw and he believed, for as they did not understand the Scripture, uh, that he must rise from the dead. And then the, dis- the, the disciples went back to their homes. Okay, so here's what you need to know about what John has just told us. Okay, he, John's right, he writes this gospel about 40 years after these events. Okay, he's an eyewitness. He walked these these uh, steps with Jesus. And so he says, listen, we didn't get it at the time, but we do understand it now. We didn't understand when Jesus said he had to rise from the dead that he re- literally meant he would rise from the dead. So he writes this about 40 years. He says, we don't understand the gravity of what we were being wrapped up in, this being the gravity of the resurrection and how important it is that we would have an accurate understanding of what's happened as a result of it. So let's talk about that very quickly. Okay? Let's look at it this way. The death of Jesus on the cross deals with our legal issues. What we need is forgiveness. Okay? So to take away the sins of the world, Jesus chooses in obedience to the Father to die. It it is His substitution for our sinfulness. Uh, It was a legal transaction resulting in that when He died, God was able to free us from the, the, the payment of our sins. Okay, you can go Romans chapter 3 uh, in there. But, but here's the issue about sin. And this is where a lot of us get it, get it messed up. We think sin is about a good and a bad thing. So we think that sin makes you bad, right? Maybe because that's what you've been sold. But the truth is, sin doesn't make you bad as much as it makes you dead. And so what you need is life to be breathed back into your dead body. Right? That's the, the wages of sin is death. That's what happens. You are dead. What you need is to be able to bring back, be brought back to life. And so, so this means I can, I can claim, I can hold a paper that says Jesus died for my sins, and I can technically be forgiven, but I would still be spiritually dead. And that's a problem, because the cross only satisfies half of our issue. And so what I need is a second part of this healing. I need to not only be forgiven for sins, but I need 
someone to breathe life back into my spiritually dead body. And this is what is accomplished when Jesus says, I'm coming back to life. We die in his death and we live in his life. That without the resurrection, technically we could be forgiven, but spiritually we'd still be separated from God. And this, the life of Jesus is what brings us to life. It connects us to this relationship. And so, so and this is when I gave you a precursor before we got started. Everything hinges on the cross being the fulfillment and the resurrection being a fulfillment. Or else we are only walking in the light of half of a gospel and half of a good news. And this is what John says we didn't understand at the time, even though Jesus had told him that. But what happens is the Holy Spirit comes in and he teaches John, hey, this is what he meant when he said that. And so let's, let's keep going. We have three more scenes. We'll go through quicker. Some of you are like, gosh, we have dinner plans. And um, Chris just texted and said, hey, I need to slow down because he's detailing a couple more cars. Is that right? All right, so here we go. Scene two, verses 11 through 18. All right, so the question is, who's looking for Jesus? And it's a person named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. Okay, so, so Peter and John, they go home, right? Okay, so it says, but, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And so, so Mary alerts Peter and John uh, and runs back with them. Peter and John, they head home. She stays, and, and it's believed that, that Mary is here uh, because she's trying to finish out the burial process uh, because if you've paid attention to John 19... Uh, the sun was going down and they had to clean some stuff up before uh, the Passover actually began. And so, uh, either way, she's, she's simply here at the tomb when something incredible is about to happen. Verse 12, and she saw, okay, so she stoops down, right, and she looked inside this tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head, one at the feet, and they said to her, woman... I think that's how they said it. Woman, why are you weeping? Why, why are you weeping? Because what do they know that she doesn't? Right? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they had laid him. And having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And then Mary does this. I love this. Supposing him to be Hank the gardener, right? She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Like you can, you can sense the desperation, right? In her voice, just let me know. Just let me know. And now, apparently, um, two angels who hadn't been there previously, now being there, wasn't clue enough that something's happening. Now, I, I wonder, though, if, if Mary's inability to see this playing out the way that it is has something to do with the level of grief that she has in her heart. level of sorrow that for three days has just been covering her because he's gone he's gone nobody comes back from the grave nobody and Jesus 
even says, woman, who are you seeking? And she doesn't see it. And then something happens. Jesus said to her, find my iPhone. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus said to her, Mary. So he says, he says, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And so, so to break through the chaos, he calls her by name. She's heard that before too. She walks with him. What we find out, we'll, we'll, we'll get here in a minute. Mary hears his voice and she knows that it's Him. Jesus says that, that the sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. So, so who does she represent in this room today? And I think it's, it's those people who are longing to be rescued from their brokenness. In fact, Jesus has been Mary's hero seemingly from the moment they met. And in Luke, uh, we find out that, that Jesus frees her from seven demons. Okay, uh, so, so they were possessing, they were oppressing her. Uh, and imagine the, the pain and the grief and the fear you would live under if, if this guy has been your redeemer. He's been your person who's rescued you, and all of a sudden he's gone. Don't you for a moment worry, is that pain coming back? Is that oppression, is it coming back to me? And she's gone. She's found him to be the rescuer and she needs him to continue to be her rescuer. Just like, like many of us here today, that, that, that we're broken. And you realize that's okay to say. It's okay to say I'm broken. It's okay to say I'm struggling it's emotionally, physically, relationally. We all need a hero that will save the day. And what we need to remember is that this is what Jesus accomplishes at the resurrection. And so he continues in verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene, she, she went and she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that uh, he has said these things to her. So we end scene 2, enter scene 3, verses 19 through 23. So the question is, who's looking for Jesus? The answer is the disciples. Now, what's funny here is the disciples don't know they're looking for Jesus. But Jesus shows up. On the evening of that day, so we're still at the first day of the week, we're still Easter Sunday, right? Uh, the doors being locked. If you like to underline your Bible and circle, if you, don't, if you don't think you have permission to do that, you do. We'll give it to you, right? The doors being locked is about to be an interesting phrase. Where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace to you. Peace be with you. Okay, so let's remember the scene. Jerusalem is on pins and needles. Pilate was fearing an insurrection, a riot breaking out, right? Uh, everyone's trying to figure out what's happened at the tomb. The disciples fear that the Jews are coming for them, mainly because Jesus said, Hey, they're coming for me, and then they're going to come for you. Okay? And so, so everything is just... Have you ever lived in a tense moment? you ever gone to bed in a tense moment and you wake up only to realize that there's still tense moments there? 
So the disciples, they lock themselves in this room, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up, and he says four words, Peace be with you. And so the question is, why, why does he say that, right? I think, A, because he is our peace. He's told us that. He says, I'm giving you peace. Not as the world does. And then I think, secondly, they're freaking out. Like, like, have you ever been in a locked room and all of a sudden someone just shows up? No. They're not like, they don't see Jesus and like, ah, oh, kumbaya, Jesus is here, everybody. No. Like, they're freaking out. Nobody does this. He just shows up. And Jesus finds them sitting in their insecurities and all of a sudden they're visited by what seems to be the ghost of Christmas past. And Jesus says, Calm down. Calm down. And so who do the disciples represent in this room? I think it's, it's those living in fear. Those living in fear. Fear of rejection, fear of man, fear of having their heart broken, fear that they won't be able to provide or protect or to leave a legacy worth telling. And here's what we know about fear. Fear like a target can paralyze you, it can keep you locked up in a room going nowhere. And this is, their, this is their safety blanket. They're together, right? And they're protected from the outside world. And I think fear will do that. It'll say, hey, lock the door. Don't let anybody in. And this is where Jesus comes in. He brings them peace, but He also gives them direction. Verse 20. When he, said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And uh, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, If you forgive the sins of any, uh, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld and and now john has gone through great lengths to teach about the holy spirit that these men are receiving that the people will be receiving at pentecost and in fact uh, jesus will tell us that it's better that he goes so that the holy spirit can come because what the holy spirit does is he says he reminds you of the things that i have taught you I remind you of the things that I have taught you. And so, so the Holy Spirit, the, my best illustration of it is Jiminy Cricket and Pinocchio. You know, it's, it's the voice that says, hey, that is good. You need to avoid that. Let's go pursue good. Let's avoid um, walking in unhealthy ways. And so, so what... When we say the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit brings us power, we're, n- we're not joking. It's our relationship with the Spirit sent by Jesus that gives us the power and the purpose to live the Christian life. All right, scene three is over. Scene four is going. Um, I'm going to get us out of here before too long. All right? Let's talk about the fourth guy who's looking for Jesus, and his name's Thomas. His name's Thomas. I said this last week. I don't, I'm not a fan of what, what we call him Doubting Thomas, uh, because what we do is we forget that just... Uh, couple of chapters earlier, uh, Jesus says, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. And they say, hey, they don't like you there. Uh, they're going to try to kill you there. And Jesus says, absolutely, we're going. That's where God's telling me to go. And then Thomas looks at the guy and says, all right, let's go. Let's die with him. But here, 
is a different side of Thomas, which I think is fair, right? Because we all have different sides. So verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin. I wonder if the other one was called the twin too. Um, right? That would be weird, right? If we just called you the twin and then not you. So anyways, alright, here we go. Um, Thomas was not with them when Jesus came, and so the other disciples told him, uh, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Right? Now, can we, can we just for a moment try to unchurch that and maybe cut Thomas a little bit of slack? Because they say, hey, I know we told you he was dead. Turns out he's not. Would you believe that? Even, even if that came from the most trusted person that you have in your life? And he's like, there's no way. Because that just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was crucified. They stabbed him. And then they put him in a tomb. It's been three days. People don't just get up off the ground from that and dust themselves off and say, whoa, that was rough. So he says, I, I, won't, I don't believe it. And so, so who does he represent in this room? I think he represents people like me and like you who have doubts and questions about what God is doing. Doubts and questions about what God is doing. And I think if we can be honest this morning, which where else can we be honest than in this room, right? We have serious questions at times about who God is and what God is doing. We have serious questions about why God is allowing certain things to happen in our lives. Why God doesn't um, keep certain things from happening. We sang a song, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't tell Chris what songs to pick or anything, but it fits very nicely in this setting this morning, especially in the context of our conversation. It's like I'm thankful for the scars. I'm thankful for those moments that, that were incredibly, incredibly painful, and yet you brought me through those moments. And I can see now why. But living life in real time can be incredibly difficult. Right? Don't we all just want to live life in hindsight? <laughs> well, yeah, I just won't do that. Well, why wouldn't you do that? Well, because I already know how it's going to play out. And I think what, what keeps so many people from taking the jump into the waters of life with God is that somehow we think our doubts and our questions make us hostile towards God. That He was... He is as thin-skinned as we are. And you bring a question, you bring a doubt to him, and he's like, what? How dare you? Don't you know who I am? That's, that's not how he sounds. He sounds awesome. That we think that doubt and that question makes us hostile, and therefore he doesn't want anything to do with us. And, and, and we can take heart, because I want you to see how Jesus responds to Thomas's doubts. Thomas's unwillingness to say, I don't believe it until I see it. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. 
says, peace be with you. And I think he did it because, you know, Thomas didn't get the full effect the first time. Then he said to Thomas, I can never do this, right? If I was Thomas, you're like, no, I was, that was all talk. I don't want to do that. Like, it makes my stomach hurt already, just thinking about it. Hey, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. And he says, don't, don't disbelieve, man. Believe. Then Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And there's, there's a lot to take away from this scene, but for this morning, let's single in on the response of Jesus as it collides with the doubts of Thomas. That Jesus doesn't come in chastising him. He doesn't walk in and be like, Bro, come on. Who am I? He doesn't. He gives him an invitation. He walks with Thomas through his doubt until Jesus' light is very clear in his life. He says, investigate. He says, explore. And I think this is fitting because you, you realize that before Jesus has told anybody to believe in him, he first says, follow, follow him. And I think we get that mis, mis, mixed up, messed up, it doesn't matter. Anyways, I think that's one of our issues we have in life with God is we think that he says, just believe without exploring. Believe without asking. And that's not the way it works. What, what we find Jesus doing specifically with these disciples is he walks up, and this is the most fav- famous words, right? He just walks up and he says, follow me. And the invitation is simply, walk in the wake of who I am. See what I have done. And eventually, what happens in the heart of a person who walks long enough, seeing that and deep enough, is that they come to this same conclusion that Thomas has. My Lord and my God. You realize Jesus doesn't have to try to church himself up to be impressive to you? He is just, by his mere presence, is worthy of praise. And so his invitation, before he says, believe me, he says, just follow me. And I think the same applies to you this morning. If you find yourself resembling Thomas, God is much more patient with us than we deserve. And he's not mad when you have questions or you have doubts and that rises in your heart. And so if I could encourage you, don't allow that doubt to create separation. Rather, let that process pave the way uh, for, for intimacy. So, so let's, let's start wrapping this up because real, literally I took like 15 minutes longer than I was supposed to. Chris will tell me about it later. So, so okay, our message as the church isn't that we've escaped the trials and the challenges of life. Uh, when we walk in community, that becomes very apparent. Because we go past the, hey, how's it going? Oh, it's good, you know. And when you walk in community, what you realize when it comes to, to Christian believers is that life isn't always as easy as we think it is. But because of Easter, there's, there's a light at the end of this life and there's a way through every single trial. There's hope no matter how painful, no matter how sorrowful the night may be. There's a light coming in the morning and because of the glory being revealed through the tomb, 
we win. We win because He won. So when we talk about this time, we, we need to remember that the cross is about forgiveness, the resurrection is about life, and we need both in order to have a relationship with the Father. And so, so the question becomes, who is Easter for? Right? That's, that's great debates between pastors. Like, what are, you, what are you trying to accomplish on an Easter morning? And so you'll have some that will say, well, it's about people who um, uh, are only inside the church a couple times a year, and so you want them to understand the incredible love that God has for them in Jesus. And then you have another group that will say, well, Easter's really for mature believers as they celebrate, as they, they think through one day at least, which, by the way, Jesus is just as risen tomorrow as He was today. Okay? Jesus is just as honored last Sunday as He will be this Sunday and next Sunday. But the thought is that, that we would come in like we did last week in Palm Sunday, that we would stop, we would remember, we would celebrate that Jesus didn't lie. That He came back to life. And we get to walk in the newness of life because of Him. And I tend to think that Easter is kind of a mix for both. That it's a mix for both. That, that Easter is, is very much for you. And Easter is very much for me. That it's, it's for those who have regrets and are shackled by them, by those who are longing to be rescued from brokenness, those who are living in fear, those who have doubts and questions about God. It has, for those who are blameless, for those who are devoted. Because the Easter story touches everybody today. I don't care if this is like your 75th Easter service that you've been to. You never, we say this all the time, there are certain things in the Christian life you never graduate from. And the fact that Jesus came back from the dead should spellbound you for the rest of your life. I don't know where you were this morning. I don't know if you, if you showed up here reluctantly. I don't know if you were super excited because your wife bought you a brand new shirt and you were going to show it off. But this morning is about Easter following you into that locked room of your soul, that, that place where you give no one access and you think nobody knows. And it's about Jesus coming into that moment. And saying, peace be with you. As Jesus sees it, he says, he says, this is the things that you're doing, it's a life that won't heal your wounds. And he speaks tenderly to you in that moment, and he brings peace, and he shows you his wounds, the wounds that he receives so that you can be offered forgiveness. And if this is you this morning, I want you to know that you're not alone. You are in a room filled with messed up people. Yeah. We kind of like it that way. Especially this guy. He's the worst. The worst. You, you're in a room with people who are carrying the same kind of regrets, the same brokenness, the same fear, the same doubts, and 
Some have found life in Jesus. Some are finding life in Jesus. Some are just on the water's edge. And, and Christ has come for all of them. For all of us. In fact, He wraps, there's a moment in Mark uh, and in John in particular. Jesus is sitting around at a table. It says He's reclining uh, with, with tax collectors and sinners. You know, the worst of the worst. And church people who are always lurking around the corner, they say, what is he doing? Doesn't he know we have a reputation to uphold? And Jesus looks at him and essentially says, it's, it's not the healthy that I've come for, it's the sick. They're the ones that need the doctor. And one of the best ways to identify that you need a doctor is to first identify that you're sick. Have you ever been sick but told yourself you're not sick? only to realize that, no, normal people don't cough that much and hurt that much and whine that much. So this is where we are this morning. We stop, we remember. For some, we celebrate. And for others, we're invited to walk into the incredible love that God has shown us in Christ. Our desire this week is to love God by. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, I want to make a couple things available. Again, if you are a guest, we are thrilled that you are here today. Uh, your car should be lined up all clean and stuff in the front. Um, if you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. We desperately want to pray with you. Like what Normally what keeps us from praying is is we are afraid that people are going to think we're weird. We are all weird people around here. There's going to be a group of people in, in this corner after we dismiss or as we're dismissing. They would love to pray with you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, this is a great day. It's a great day to do it. If for any other reason that you'll be able to for the rest of your life, say, oh, I met Jesus on Easter morning. Right? Makes it really easy to remember the anniversary of that. We believe... That there's no way to have a right relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because no one comes to the Father except through me. And what He did to earn that right for us, it's incredible. And we'd love to talk with you about it. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank You for loving us enough to walk us through John 20 today. To show us where our celebration is to show us that He is risen. And Father, I thank You that when Jesus looks at us in the confusion of these moments of our lives, that He calls us by name because He knows us. And I thank You we get to know You through Him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.